establishing through the word of God the supremacy of the Lord Jesus Christ. And there is no way for me to go back and review everything that we've done from the first three chapters, but I just want to encourage you. Get those tapes, listen to them over and over, let them become a part of you, because God is establishing some solid things upon which you can anchor your faith. First two chapters, the writer of Hebrews establishes for us the supremacy of the Lord Jesus Christ over the angels. Third chapter, he establishes for us the superiority of the Lord Jesus Christ over Moses. And so tonight we're going to go into Hebrews chapter 4. And to do that, I just want to go back to Hebrews 3.19, the last verse in chapter 3. Last verse in chapter 3, Hebrews chapter 3, verse 19. It says, so we see that they could not enter in because of unbelief. It is worth mentioning again that that entire congregation that came out of Egypt failed to enter to the promised land not because of idolatry, not because of lack of piety, not because of lack of devotion, and all the other things you can name or mention. That was not the reason for which they did not enter the promised land. It was not for being idolatrous and all of those other things we read about concerning the Israelites. It is important that we realize, recognize that the only singular reason that the scripture gives us for which they did not possess or enter into the promised land was unbelief. They failed to believe God at his word. Ah. Hmm. Now, I think I said to us at some point in this teaching that we need to recognize also that the promised land is not heaven. And in future teachings, I'm going to come back and maybe in a couple of weeks, maybe three weeks from now or whatever, I really want to just really zero in and define what the promised land is and the significance to us as believers today. I think it's important we know that. But clearly the promised land to Israel was not... It's not heaven for us. Why? It's so simple. There are no giants in heaven. There is no warfare trying to stop you in heaven. Okay? If you make it to heaven, you're in heaven. It's just that simple. No demons to fight, no giants to fight, no such thing. So clearly the promised land is not heaven. Okay? But we're going to come back though at a later date and clearly define it explain it, and find the significance that that has to you and I today. Now, so we know from chapter 3, Hebrews, that Moses led Israel out of Egypt. But because of unbelief, at what happened at the waters of Meribah, the waters of strife, if you will, 
Numbers chapter 20. The Bible said, he, even though he brought them out, could not bring them in. And that is one of the great distinctions that we see in Hebrews chapter 3, verses 1 and 2, where the Bible says, consider the apostle and the high priest of our confession or profession, Jesus Christ. In other words, the unbelief of that early congregation caused Moses himself not to enter. For us today, we cannot stop Jesus from taking us in. Because our going in is not contingent upon you. This is what makes the good news good news. It is not about you. It's not about me. It's all about him. Jesus Christ plus nothing. Nothing needs to be added. Nothing can be taken away. It's all about him. So let's begin now in Hebrews chapter 4 verse 1. Therefore, since a promise remains of entering his rest, let us fear lest any of you seem to come short of it. Now, because of the way this very first verse starts, it necessitates that I go back and redefine this word rest again so we understand exactly what it's saying. To the Hebrew mind, when they hear the word rest, immediately it triggers two things for them. Number one, the rest that God described in Genesis, the rest of creation. That's number one. That's Sabbath day. They know that because they, they practiced that. It was part of the law and so forth and so on. So that's number one. The Sabbath day rest. The rest that began as a result of creation. Second thing that comes to their mind. The rest in Canaan. The promised land. Because when you read Exodus 23 verses 10 through 13. When you read Psalms 95. There is a rest associated with being in the promised land. In fact, Joshua, let me just read that. Let's make that very, very clear so we understand that. Joshua chapter 11. Joshua chapter 11. Uh, in verse 23. Joshua eleven twenty-three. 23. The Bible says, so Joshua took the whole land according to all that the Lord had said to Moses, and Joshua gave it as an inheritance to Israel according to their divisions by their tribes. Last sentence. Then the land rested from war. Okay? One more verse there. Joshua 23. Joshua 23. In verse 1. Now it came to pass a long time after the Lord had given what? Rest to Israel from all their enemies round about 
that Joshua was old, advanced in age. Now, I've shown you here, number one, in Genesis, there was a rest associated with creation. Sabbath day rest. Secondly, I've shown you rest in Canaan as part of God's plan where they rested from their walls and Solomon in a time of rest was able to build the temple. So for the Hebrew mind, when the Bible says there's a rest, immediately their minds go to creation, Sabbath day rest, and rest in Canaan. However, that cannot be the rest that God is talking about. Hello? How do I know that? Because when you read in Hebrews chapter 4, in verse 8 and 9, the Bible says, For if Joshua had given them rest, then he would not afterward have spoken of another day. There remains therefore a rest for the people of God. In other words, if Joshua haven't taken them into the promised land and they rested from their enemies and the land rested, if that was all God was speaking about, why would God need to speak of another day and another rest? Does that make sense? Did you get that? This is the point. The rest you and I are laboring to enter into is not just the rest of creation or the rest given as a result of creation, the Sabbath day, the seventh day. Even though we need to take a break from work, we shouldn't be workaholics. Okay? It is not creation rest. Second of all, it is not Canaan rest. Sabbath rest talks about a vacation. Take a day off. Okay? Canaan rest talks about location. I'm going to take a break and go to Hawaii. I'm going to take a break and go to Vail, Colorado. I'm going to take a break and go to Disneyland. So you have take a day off, Sabbath rest. You have uh, a place or a location rest. I travel, I go to the UK, I go to Paris, I go to Disney, I go to Colorado. None of those things. It is neither a vacation nor a location, but the rest that God is talking about is not creation rest, it's not Canaan rest, but Christ rest. Which speaks to us of relationship. You see, I can decide that I need a break. I want, to take, I want to take a day off. Creation. I want to travel. I want to go to Hawaii. I want to go to Vail, Colorado. I want to go to Disneyland. Location. But mind you, if I leave Atlanta as a crocodile, when I get to Disneyland, what am I? I'm still a crocodile. If I leave Atlanta a miserable person, and I think I just need a break. Or I need to just go to the zoo or to Disney or to a location. I'm miserable here, but I'm going to get on an airplane and go to XYZ, name the place on earth. What do you think is going to happen when you get there? It's still miserable. 
Not only that is not only is that true, the point is if you go to Disneyland, there are people in Disney that's just as miserable as you. Yes. And they will be saying the same thing you said. If I could just get to Vail, Colorado. If I could just go to Hawaii. So the point here is, it's not creation rest. It's not location rest, Canaan. It is a rest that is only found in the Lord Jesus Christ through relationships with him. Now, if I went to Vail, Colorado, to Disney, uh, Disney, Florida, and I took my Bible with me, and I know that I'm going on a location to a place, but with a mindset that I'm going there to enjoy God. Yes. That I'm going there to seek God. That I'm going there for a time of communion and fellowship with him. It's a whole different equation. Yes, How many times have we taken vacations and come back as tired as we were when we left? Yes. <laughs> I mean, by the time you get back, man, you need another vacation. <laughs> That's the truth. That's because we are Going away for the wrong reasons. I, I, I just can't get in my mind. Believers say they go on a vacation. And it's Sunday's involved. You get to wherever it is, Florida, Hawaii, uh, name the place. But on that Sunday, there's no pool to worship. So, so you evacuate from God? What does that mean? does that mean? So, the rest that's being spoken about here, it's important we understand it. Therefore, since a promise remains of entering this rest, this rest that is found in Christ Jesus, Matthew chapter 11, let me just read it quickly. Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden. That's the, that's the rest we're talking about. Matthew chapter 11, verse 28. Come to me, all you who labor and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, from gentle and lonely in heart, I mean lonely in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. My yoke is easy, and my burden is light. That word yoke is a farming language. And what happens in the farming uh, industry back in the days is when you're going to break in a new ox, a young oxen, to plow the field, they will yoke that oxen with an experienced one. One that has plowed, that has been productive, that they know knows how to do the plowing. So they will yoke, a yoke is like a wood that they put on the neck of both of the animals and release them to walk. So the idea here is the younger animal is learning from the older one how to plow. And in time, doing it back and forth and back and forth and back and forth, the new oxen learns from the older one, the wiser one, the more experienced one, and therefore when he's allowed to plow on his own, he knows what to do. So what Jesus is saying? Don't Try to live your life by yourself. He's your creator. He made us. He understands where we're going, where we're trying to go. He set the agenda. He's the GPS for your destination. So he said to us, take my yoke.
take my experience. Learn from me. Remember the message on the language of God? That's where it came from. Learn from me. How do I do things? What do I say? How do I respond in certain situations? Learn from the way I've done what I've done. Learn from me. Amen? I'm gentle. Oh, you remember Sunday's message? Gentle. God don't have to twist your arm to get you to do anything. He's gentle. He's gentle. Through his gentle prodding, he directs us. He cancels us. He leads us. He guides us. Not by force. Not by coercion. Not by being aggressive. I don't want to take a poll of how many parents went home and yelled at their kids since Sunday. But anyway, so that's the idea. That's the kind of rest that Jesus is recommending for you and I. He said, learn from me. I'm gentle and lowly in heart and you will find rest for your, for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. So Hebrews chapter 4 in verse 1, we are told that there's a promise remain of entering into distress. Let us fear, lest any of you seem to have come short of it. Ah, we need to talk about this for a minute. Let us fear. What's the fear that we shall have? That any of us will come short of the promise of entering into the finished, completed work of Christ. How can that ever happen? Let's go back and see what happened to those Israelites. Go with me to Numbers chapter 13. Numbers 13. Numbers chapter 13. Uh, verse 27. Now this is instruction from Moses. Numbers 13, verse 27. Then they told him, now they've gone to spy the promised land. They came back. This is the report they brought back. Then they told him and said, we went to the land where you sent us. Now look at his next sentence. It truly flows with milk and honey. And this is the fruit. Can you believe this? Nevertheless, the people who dwell in the land are strong. The cities are fortified and very large. Moreover, we saw the descendants of Enoch there. The Amalekites dwell in the land of the south. The Hittites, the Jebusites, and the Amorites dwell in the mountains. And the Canaanites dwell by the sea along the banks of the Jordan. Then Caleb quieted the people before Moses and said, Let us go up at once and take possession, for we are well able to overcome it. But the men who had gone up with him said, We are not able to go up against the people, for they are stronger than we. And they gave the children of Israel a bad report of the land which they had spied out, saying, The land through which we have gone as spies is a land that divorced its inhabitants, and all the people whom we saw in it are men of great stature. There we saw the giants, the descendants of Anna came from the giants, and we were like grasshoppers in our own sight, and so we were in their sight. Can you believe that? 
Now, there's a reason I'm reading this passage. Because many of us are familiar with the context of it. But there's a reason for which I'm reading it. If you pay a closer attention, this is like many of us. Because when God told him to go to this land, and I don't have time to read it, God told them specifically, it's a land flowing with milk and honey. The Canaanites dwell there. Amalekites dwell there. God told them all of that. So they went and saw exactly what God said. Even though God told them, listen, these guys are there. The land belongs to you. It flows with milk and honey. They went there, they saw what God said, brought the fruit back, and it amazes me, ladies and gentlemen, that in their narration and their report, they do what most of us us do. Notice what they did here. Only one verse out of seven was given to the positive report. Seven verses of reporting what they saw. Only in verse 27, it says, we went to the land where you sent us. It truly flows with milk and honey. And this is the food. And from there on, bad news. Do you know people who bring you a good report in just half of a sentence? And the next, the rest of the page is why you can't do it? Unbelievable. They said truly, what God said is true. It flows with me, honey, we saw it. Here is the fruit. Nevertheless, or if you will, but. But. And the but goes on and on and on. These are people that's always in the glass half empty. No matter what. Let me tell you something. When you know people like that, stay away from them. I don't want such people around me at all. I give them a long hand of fellowship and get away from them. Because they, they, they're poison you. Jesus said, take heed how you hear and take heed what you hear. Can you believe that the entire destiny of a, of a, of a whole nation, a generation, rested on that evil report? Now, the amazing thing is the things they said were not lies. There were giants in the land. Those guys were men of great stature. It may have been indeed a fact that they saw themselves as lesser or smaller than those guys. But the point is, did God know this? Yes, sir. If God knew that and told them in spite of that, go, I'm going to give you the land, what difference does it make? Could they have gotten themselves out of the hand of Pharaoh? Bring this away you are. How much of what God says do you believe? And how much do you put on the shelf and say, you know what, it may be true for Nancy, but maybe not me. It may be true for X, Y, Z, but you know, well, surely maybe God does not know my situation. Bring me away. They affirmed God, said, truly, it flows with me, me, honey. But for some reason, they did not think God could change the rest of the facts. And consequently, an entire generation could not go in to possess their possession. Let me bring it home further to us. 
Because Hebrews 4, 2 says, For indeed the gospel was preached to us as well as to them, but the word which they heard did not profit them, not being mixed with faith in those who heard it. We hear it day after day after day, especially in the United States, radio, TV, internet, the whole nine yards, we're hearing the word over and on and on and on and on and on and on and on. And the point is, are we mixing it with faith? And when the Bible talks about faith here, it's not talking about just hearing something, sitting down, what you're hearing, it's talking about action. Doing something heeding to what you're hearing. Allowing what you're hearing to change your environment, your situation, your circumstance. Can I submit to you tonight that 50% of our prayers are prayers of unbelief? Maybe more than that. That's a conservative estimate. Okay, let's go to the scriptures. Luke chapter 1. Luke chapter 1. Luke chapter 1. And the reason I'm saying this is <laughs> we need to be very much aware of how faith works and what you and I must do. Unbelievable. This guy spoke one positive verse and the other six were negatives. Luke chapter 1. Here is, oh, how much can I read? Verse 5. Luke chapter 1 verse 5. Again, we, we know the story only too well. There was in the days of Herod, the king of Judea, Judea, a certain priest named Zechariah. Of the division of Abijah, his, his wife was of the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. And they were both righteous before God, walking in all the commandments and ordinances of the Lord, blameless. They had no child, because Elizabeth was barren, and they were both well advanced in years. So it was that while he was serving as priest before God, in the order of, the, of his division, According to the custom of the priesthood, his lot fell to burn incense when he went to the temple of the Lord. Verse 10, and the whole multitude of the people was praying outside at the hour of incense. If you know anything about the tabernacle, incense represents prayer. So they are praying. This priest, who is a mediation, or rather a mediator between God and the people at that time, was praying. Verse 11. Then an angel of the Lord appeared to him standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And when Zechariah saw him, he was troubled and fell, and fear fell upon him. Now, wait a minute now. This guy is praying, and an angel came, and he was afraid. <laughs> Who are angels? Ministers that are sent, servants that were sent to minister to the heirs of salvation. So you are praying in faith and an angel appears before you and you are afraid. Okay, let's read on. But the angel said to him, do not be afraid, Zacharias, for your what? Prayer is heard. And your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son and you shall call his name John. And you will have joy and gladness and many will rejoice at his birth. Let's just keep it down. Verse 18. 
And Zechariah said to the angel, how shall I know this? He's still doing very well. That question is not too bad yet. Okay? He just wants to go, he wants God to be more specific. How shall I know this? Now, he keeps on opening his mouth and he's getting down bad from going south from there on. Look at the next sentence. For I am an old man. Really? Of course God didn't know your age. Notice this priest. He must have been well versed about Abraham's life. And so now he's arguing with this angel. <laughs> Do you realize how old I am? Oh, in fact, maybe you don't know about mine. About my wife. And my wife is well advanced in age. He's telling the ancient of days about how old his wife is. How amazing. Now, this man is praying. God brings an answer to him in prayer. And then he's arguing with God why it shouldn't be so. Now, verse 19, and the angel answered and said to him, I am Gabriel, who stands in the presence of God, and was sent to speak to you and bring you these glad tidings. That's the point which you and I, God is bringing us good news. And we are scratching our head and saying, God, it's just too good to be true. I'm sorry, God, it's, it's, it's just too good to be true. I've bought so many insurances, I've bought so many real estates, bought so many used cars, bought so many used clothing, too many used things that were just too good to be true. I got ripped off. This must be just like one of those deals. (laughs) Unbelievable. Verse 20. But behold, you'll be mute and not be able to speak until the day these things take place. Why? Because you did not believe my words. Unbelief. Unbelief. I won't go past this section today. It's obvious. Israel did not go in because of unbelief. Zechariah almost blew it because of unbelief. I can get, maybe when we have a kingdom conversation, I can get into why God did not abort the mission here. If I get into that now, we won't, we, I won't be able to get in the next month. He could have aborted it because of unbelief. He didn't. He just simply shut his mouth. Because he did not want his mouth. Now, that should tell you how powerful your mouth is. God said, I will not allow you to mess up what I've set in motion before ages. I will simply just zip your mouth. Because out of your tongue is the power of what? Life and death. I've spoken life. But you can mess it up with your tongue. So for a season, until it comes to pass, forget talking. (laughs) Praise God. Let us go though and see what mixing the gospel of faith is all about. Acts chapter 12. I don't want to leave you hanging. Acts chapter 12. Ah. 
Verse 1. Acts 12, 1. Now about that time, Herod the king stretched out his hand to harass some from the church. Then he killed James, the brother of John, with a sword. And because he saw that he pleased the Jews, he proceeded further to seize Peter also. Now it was during the days of unleavened bread. In other words, Herod saw that killing James was politically correct. He saw that he was climbing in the polls. My goodness, this poll, I like this poll. This, this poll's numbers was going up. He said, man, let me get another one. <laughs> Amen? So, he also sees Peter. Let's pick it up from uh, verse 9. Peter was therefore kept in prison, but constant prayer was offered to God for him by the church. Now, if you have the King James Version, he did not use the word offer. He said constant prayer was made. That's a play of words. It's very, very critical. There's a difference between praying and making prayer. When you understand incense in the Old Testament, God gives specific ingredients that constituted what incense was. And if you mixed anything other than what God recommended or asked for, it was no longer incense. So when the Bible talks about making prayer, it is important you understand that. That's why the Bible talks about in Romans 8 that you and I do not know what we ought to pray for, what we should pray for as we ought to, but that the Holy Spirit makes intercession for us. Huge. I don't have time to go into all of that. But in 2 Samuel chapter 1, or is it chapter 2, one of those verses, David was about to go to battle. He asked God, shall I go into Judah? God said, yes. Let's, let's read it. Let's read it. Second Samuel. Uh, chapter 2. Because I want to show you something here. About making prayers. Second Samuel chapter 2. Verse 1. It happened after this that David inquired of the Lord, saying, Shall I go up to any of the cities of Judah? And the Lord said to him, Go up. David said, Where shall I go? And he said to Hebron. Oh my God. In that one verse, you saw the difference between praying and making prayer. David's first prayer it was, just, it was just praying. Shall I go to any of the cities of Judah? God said, yes. Okay. He asked a general question. God gave a general reply. Yes. That's where Mina first stop. He went beyond that and just said to God, where? Give me specific. Where shall I go? Then God answered, to Hebron. If he did not press to get specific from God, you have a general answer that will lead him to nowhere. But you say he prayed. You say God answered. Yeah. He offered a prayer. He didn't make a prayer. 
Did you, did you understand the distinction? Shall I go to Australia? Yeah. Is it Brisbane? Is it Perth? Is it Sydney? Is it Melbourne? You don't know. You don't know. You have no idea. Should I go to school? Yes. Should I go be a plumber? A doctor? You are not asking the right questions. It's not that God is not answering, but you are not asking the right questions. You have to be target specific. Shall I go to any of the cities of Judah? Did God answer him? Yes. Go. Go. So what is he going to set the GPS on? Shall I go to Florida? Yes. Is it Tampa? Is it Tallahassee? Is it Orlando? Is it Miami? Is it Naples? Is it West Palm Beach? You have no clue. You'll just be as lost in Florida as you were before you left in Georgia. Because you didn't make prayer, you offered a prayer. Did you understand that? In that one verse, we see a clear distinction. Who shall I marry? A woman that's just five feet tall. You go anywhere, auditorium, you're going to find 1,000 of them. So you're rolling the dice. Hallelujah. Glory to God. <laughs> no, but seriously, are you guys getting what I'm saying to you? Yes, sir. It's important. Yes, sir. Because the prayer God answers, you must understand that, is the prayer that comes out of him. God gives you the prayer, you pray back to him, you get the answer. Yes. That's why the role of the Holy Spirit cannot be we cannot emphasize it enough. My advice to anyone is, ask God in this matter situation, what, what, what do you want of me? Let God speak to you. And when, once you get an impression from God, then pray that impression back to him. Rather than doing all these shotgun prayers, just shotgun, you hit nothing. You hit nothing. Amen? Amen? So back to Acts chapter 12, verse 5. Verse 5. Uh, so prayer was, no, Peter. Peter was therefore kept in prison, but constant prayer was made to God for him by the church. Now watch this. And when Herod was about to bring him out, that night Peter was sleeping bound with two chains between two shoulders and the guards before the door were keeping the prison. Now behold, an angel of the Lord stood by him. Do you remember the last time what we read about Zechariah? How the angel stood by him? When angels stood by Zechariah, what happened? Okay. <laughs> Here we see the, an angel again. And a light shone in the prison and he struck Peter on the side and said, on the side, and raised him up, saying, Arise quickly. And his chains fell off his hands. So was it was Peter afraid? In Zechariah's case, it's an angel, fear gripped him. In Peter's case, it's an angel, he said, My God, my deliverance is here. Yes. Yes, sir. Watch this. 
Then the angel said to him, Guard yourself and tie on your sandals. And so he did. And he said to him, Put on your garment and follow me. So he went out and followed him and did not know that what was done by the angel was real, but thought it was seen in a vision. Talk about mixing what we're hearing with faith. What would have happened if indeed the angel went to Peter and gave all these instructions and Peter just merely thought, oh, this is a vision, it can't be real. And sat in that cell. Hello? You see, because what happens to you and I? You sleep, you dream, God shows you things, you wake up, just take a shower, put on your clothes, you just went to work as if nothing happened. And you're saying, God, answer my prayer. What more answer will he give you? He visited you the night times, gave you a revelation through dreams and visions. You did absolutely nothing about it. Didn't much as much to pray about what you saw. And then you're asking God, move by your spirit. Really? Because when he moved by his spirit, you didn't believe it. Perhaps because you did not know it was him. Possibly. So if Peter had not done anything, if he just thought, notice, he, 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 he obeyed instruction was given even though he thought it was a, it was a vision. Yes. And then the time came when he said, wow, this is, I'm not dreaming, this is for real. Yes, Obedience came before the realization. Yes, sir. Obedience was done before the manifestation. Yes, Many times, you and I are waiting for a manifestation before we obey. But he set out in a Roman jail for crowd loud. He set out, began to move, and the doors were open. I said, oh, this is not a joke. This is for real. That is mixing the word of God with faith. But that's not all. Watch this. We're almost over. Okay, in verse 10. When they were past the first and second guard post, they came to the iron gate that leads to the city, which opened to them of its own accord. And they went out and went down one street, and immediately the angel departed from him. And when Peter had come to himself, he said, Now I know for a certain that the Lord has sent his angel and has delivered me from the hand of Herod and from all the expectation of the Jewish people. So, when he had considered this, he came to the house of Mary, the mother of John, whose surname was Mark, where many were gathered together praying. And as Peter knocked at the door at the gate, a girl named Rhoda came to answer. When she recognized Peter's voice, because of her gladness, she did not open the gate. But ran in and announced that Peter stood before the gate. Now, this is interesting. Believers are praying. Who are they praying for? Peter. God answered their prayer. Peter is at the door. He knocks on the door. Rhonda goes to the door and says, Who are you? Peter. <laughs> Peter, is this really you? She refused to open the door. Goes back to the prayer meeting. 
And now suddenly Peter stood before the gate. Look at these believers, verse 15. But they said to her, you are beside yourself. Yet she kept insisting that it was so. So they said, it is his angel. So the question is, what are you praying about? Why are you even praying if you don't believe? This is incredible. This is the book of Acts. They were praying. The answer to their prayer was at their door. They said, you are beside yourself. You've got to be crazy. When has God ever supplied manna from heaven? It's a lie. It won't happen to you. How can God ever cancel your debt? You are crazy. You're beside yourself. God to heal you, you must be mad. When would that ever happen? She said, I'm serious. It's true. It's Peter. Oh, no, no. It must be a ghost. It's his angel. Believers, Holy Ghost filled, tongue talking. Unbelievable. <laughs> Verse 16. Now Peter continued knocking. And when they opened the door and saw him, they were astonished. Is that where you and I are? Yes. We have. We, we, we say we believe God, but somehow we don't think God will do it. That's what needs to change. The Bible says the expectation of the righteous shall not be cut off. You have got to believe that if God said it, it's going to happen. Somebody said, Pastor, suppose it does not happen. I ask you, suppose it does happen. The only reason it doesn't happen is because most of us say it, but we don't believe it. You don't believe it. You don't believe it. This is where the rubber meets the road. This is where the rubber meets the road. Now, let me, let me, let me just close on this. It's, it's almost 8.30. Let me just close with this one thing here. Give me the amplified translation of Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verse 11, please. Yeah. God help us. No, no, that's all right. Let, let me go to Hebrews 11. Let me go to Hebrews 11. I, I just want to close on this note for us to really appreciate how much God loves you. Let, let, let's look at Hebrews 11. No, that's all right. First of all, let me read out Hebrews 4 1 again, and then I'm going to go to Hebrews 11. Hebrews 4 1 again says, Therefore, since a promise, remember that a promise remains of entering its rest. It's a promise. Okay? Now look at Hebrews 11. Verse 39. Hebrews 11 39. And all these, having obtained a good testimony through faith, did not receive the promise. I used to wonder about that. Now, Hebrews 11, you know, is the hall of faith. 
all of these great men and women who did great exploits for God by faith. And our God says to us, all of this, having obtained a good testimony through faith, did not receive the promise. Why? God having provided something better for us that they should not be made perfect apart from us. Ah. Time will not allow me to dwell on that too much. I told you weeks ago that you can choose your favorite Bible character. Just pick them. David, Abraham, Moses, Elijah, Elisha. Just name any of them. Put them together. Tie them together. Glue them together. None of them comes remotely close to the potential that God has for each one of us right now. None of them. Angels, prophets, they are looking down and saying, God, what is this that you are doing with these people? It's incredible. God said for all these great men that stopped the lions with their mouth who were tortured and they said, don't deliver us. Abraham, Moses, Joseph, Samson, Jephthah, all of them listed. God said they did not enter, they did not receive the promise, even though they were men of faith. Why? Because God will not allow them to enter before us. Incredible. Folks, I can't understand it. But God is trying to make a point. The rest of which we are talking about is not Canaan. It's not a day, a vacation, a day, of, a day of rest. No. It's not cessation from, I'm not going to go to IBM today or General Electric. No. It's not a rest of location. I'm just going to fly and go away to a nice, nice island of Phuket in Thailand. And I'd like to go there. No. This rest is the rest that's only found in Jesus Christ through our relationship with him. And the point God is trying to make is you and I can never do anything to earn our salvation or our blessing. It's not by my works. It's not by my energy. It's not by my efforts. It's not by my righteousness. Oh no. It's not by my prayer life. It's got nothing to do with what I do. It's all about who he is and what he has done. That's why those men, even though they were great men and women, could not, could not get into that rest. Because Jesus had not come. This is liberating. No, it's not my righteousness. It's not my faith. No, it's not my prayer. Now, prayer is essential and simple, and I'm going to teach later on on the essentiality of prayer and praying. Let me just throw this out there. Prayer can either be 
your steering wheel or your spare tire? For many of us, it's a spare tire. When you have a blowout, when you, have a low, when you can't get anywhere, then you pick up a spare tire. Prayer. But when you are wise, you understand that prayer should be your steering wheel, your direction, your moving, your tracking. But it's not, it's not, see, when I said it's not your effort, your works, your righteousness, or even your prayer life, your prayer is not what brings the result. What your praying does, it establishes your relationship. You get to know him yes, and he sir. gets to know you. It's like communing or communicating with your spouse. Yes, That's how you get intimate with who God is. But you're not going to pray long enough to release a blessing. The blessing is released. Yes, sir. Ephesians 1.3 You have been blessed, pastors. It's not a blessing that's going to happen. It's a blessing that's already happened. Oh my God. He said you are seated, pastors, together with him in heavenly places. You are not going to sit. No. It's already happened. The manifestation becomes contingent on your believing it. Because when you believe it, your prayer language changes. You are not trying to twist his arm to do something he's already done. Yes, sir. All right. Ah. Ah, thank you, Rosie. She got it right there. You see, there's a language of the kingdom, sunish. There's a culture of the kingdom, love. And there's an attitude of the kingdom, thanksgiving. That's coming later. Father, tonight we want to thank you. Thank you for helping our unbelief. Thank you for bringing us into that realm and that place. Like Peter, through the power of your spirit, where we give estimation highly to that which you have spoken. Lord, that your promises concerning us that are in Christ Jesus, are yes and amen. We receive right now the manifestation of your goodness and your promises. Thank you because you are a great God. You are a good God. Jesus, you finished it, perfected it, completed it. Everything concerning our salvation and redemption, you have completed and finished. And we thank you for it. And so, Lord God, tonight as we go home, we thank you that the manifestation of your finished work will be evident in every man and every woman's life. Thank you, Father God. We honor you. We bless and we praise your name. Now and forever. In Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Look on.